for over, well over 100 years, well over 100 years. In fact, you can go back into the 1700s and find traces of it then, even uh, around the time of the French Revolution and prior to it, when some of the big players of this utopia they wanted to bring into the world uh, were writing books, just churning them out at the time, it seems. And you'll find even the Masonic groups were doing it through the encyclopedists, as they call themselves in France, and people like Voltaire were just churning them out and the rights of man and all that kind of stuff. It sounds so wonderful because they always have to use the masses to bring in their system so they can dominate the masses. That's how it works so well. You promise them a wonderful life in the future, more freedoms, and they, they go and fight for you so you can dominate them. Just like the Soviet Union, and here it is across the planet. Back with more after this break. It's astonishing to see how people think they're progressing. It's like the word progress itself, people don't stop to ask who decides what progress is even and what are the outcomes or side effects of progress. They do this with science. In other words, every invention that comes along through science will alter our behavior in some way or another. And it does. And in behavioral psychology schools, they teach the same thing, that if you want to alter behavior of any animal whatsoever, including humanity, uh, they say that uh, all you have to do is alter something in their environment, put something in their environment that wasn't there before, and you go into the average home, and everyone's got the same things, the computer's there, the TV screen's there, uh, radio, and the cell phones, and all that kind of stuff. Their behavior is altered because of what's given to them, and this is called progress. But remember, along with that come all the different studies in, in society and sociology and social politics to do with what you do with society, the sciences of society, and who rules it, what kind of society should you have. And once again, it always ends, this, this road always ends up at eugenics and survival of the fittest, the Darwinian idea and the right of the few who decide they, they are elite and they have the right to rule to, to, to decide eventually who's to get married and who shouldn't get married and who should be sterilized and all that kind of stuff. And they tried their full frontal assault on the publics of the Western world, especially from about the 1800s onwards. They really took off in the 1900s and the eugenics bills were put into effect in some countries, including the United States of America, through the Rockefeller Foundation and the Carnegie Trust, who funded the, the first openings of eugenics ex experiments, and they got lots of the U.S. states to start on the so-called feeble-minded. And anyone could be classified eventually as feeble-minded. You could actually argue about different things until a group of them, you know, the ones that are better than you claim, when they get together, that you're simply feeble-minded, you just don't understand things, and you should be sterilized. But it didn't work too well, and there, were, there was a backlash over... It took years and years to stop them sterilizing people through the courts. But they, they came back at it again through another idea, through the big foundations, which are ruled by the same peoples, like the Rockefellers still today in America, and all the other foundations to which they're attached, because it's a one big club at the top, you see. And they came back through, how do we convince the public to reduce their numbers? The wrong kinds of people. Well, once again, they did it through 
an infiltration of academia. Academia is beautiful because, after all, the leaders of society come from academia. They don't come from the working classes. They come from the universities, especially select Ivy League-type universities. And they go into positions of power, either in industry or commerce, or they go into politics or bureaucracies. Therefore, they're already conditioned for what's to come in their lifetime when it comes to promoting new forms of eugenics. They're disguised. And remember, the Club of Rome hit upon the idea. They were given the task to find ways to unite the world with a common enemy for a global society in a time of globalization when there's no enemies left. And they came up with the idea of global warming. Man at war with something. Because under warfare conditions, we put up with ID cards, um, we put up with rationing of foods and various other things. Gasoline's a common thing. Well, all these things are now coming into effect under different guises, under different guises uh, as we try to save the planet. Man's the enemy of the planet, according to the Club of Rome. That's the, the new prattle across the academia and politics. They have their members of various societies on board with government, all appointed, advising them how to bring this in. But, of course, it boils down again to eugenics. And once they have us convinced step by step, oh, the, the, it's the planet, you see, the planet's dying because of us, and there's global warming. It started off with a hole in the ozone layer that only NASA could see. No one else could see the hole in the ozone layer. And it's astonishing to me, too, that uh, they weren't looking for it. They suddenly discovered it because of technology. Well, it's kind of like getting a pair of binoculars and you've never moved from your house in your whole life, and you look out the back with the binoculars, and there's a mountain there. And, well, it would never spring into your mind that, that you caused that mountain to erupt there and, and stand there, would it? simply because you saw it for the first time. But they see the whole, a hole in the ozone, and they immediately say, well, man must have caused that. Utter, utter bunkum, you see. Well, that died away as well, the hole in the ozone, and then it came to global, global freezing. The coming ice age was uh, the cry from the United Nations, and uh, mankind was causing that as well. And that didn't take off because nature didn't cooperate, you know. So then they hit on global warming because they predicted we'd go through a small mini warming phase for a while. They jumped on that bandwagon and then we went back into cooling. So now it's just weather. It's the weather. You see, it's climate. The climate's always changing, always has changed, but it's, it's good enough. It'll do the trick. And at the same time, we see the big agri-food businesses taking over the entire planet, and there's not a government in the world really has been able to stand up to Monsanto, who's taking the patent rights on existing genes and existing crops that have always been around in different parts of the world. They get their patents on it, they own the darn thing. In fact, if they get, if they get their genes from you, they own you. It's incredible what's happening. But it's all mandated from the top by the same small capstone, you see, that, that rules the world. And we have Prince Philip again coming out saying, oh, there's too many people, too many people. It's a, it's a, too much, it's a people problem. But he, didn't, he never criticizes the government that, that is underneath the crown in Britain. The government, they made it an open-door policy immigration for over 30 years, especially from select countries that belonged to the Royal Institute of International Affairs, because they decided back in the 30s that when the right time came, and this is in their own writings, 
uh, this is the Council on Foreign Relations and Royal Institute for International Affairs, they'd eventually allow India to get priority immigration into Britain. But it would take years to prepare the public to accept it. And they did. They gave them years and a lot of propaganda, gradually brought them in, and then flooded the country. Then they point around and say, whoa, there's too many people. There's too many people. What was behind all of these things? What was behind the logic, if there was logic at all? Well, the logic is that to convince the population of the world to go into a global government that's also going to deal with eugenics and depopulation, you have to make sure that even those countries that are not overpopulated become overpopulated, especially when you mandate that they all go to the big cities that were not built for massive immigration. And that's what's happened across the Western world. Why again? Because part of it, part of the reasoning is that nationalism causes wars. And therefore, if you get internationalism and multiculturalism, you destroy the cultures. Therefore, you can bring the society into a global society and there'll be no more wars. That's, that's, that's the, the basic reason they give to their low-level workers, the armies of workers. And that's good enough for them. To a lot of people, that makes sense. Who read the standard schoolboy uh, history books and thinks, well, we just have one war after another. You know, Britain against France. Uh, Britain against Crimea in the Crimean War. And so on and so on. But it isn't until you get behind. behind who caused the wars? Who financed the wars? You get the connections. Because they truly are international bankers. It's not a conspiracy. They, we know who they are. They're listed who they are. And then we have other professors like Professor Carol Quigley coming out openly with these books. Actually, they grabbed them, eventually destroyed the place, but thank goodness they got published first. Um, and then he wrote Tragedy and Hope and the Anglo-American Establishment, two books. There are must-read that fill in all the blanks in history. And he took the blanks from the the, the, the records of the Council on Foreign Relations dash Royal Institute of International Affairs being the official historian for them. And he tells you that they've been behind almost every major war right through the 1800s into the 1900s. And he tells you what their goals were and the techniques they used. Names a lot of the people in, involved. He names the Kissingers of the day back in the late 1800s into the early 1900s and onwards the big players, the guys who moved across the world with incredible power, technocrats, who were not responsible to the public because they were unelected, but they wielded the true power to get things done. And you'll find, too, that the Royal Institute for International Affairs is the end product of the Cecil Rhodes-Rothschild uh, group that, that merged with the Alfred Milner group, Lord Alfred Milner, a London banker and other bankers, and formed the Royal Institute for International Affairs. The bankers were behind it. You can't have wars without bankers. They discussed ways to get a world war going, to bring everyone to their knees, so as everyone would say, oh, this is terrible, we can't go on like this. We've got to give up all our rights and go under a higher authority, a global system. And this has gone on and on and on. And out of the same bunch, through their foundations that they also front with all their NGOs, non-governmental organizations, they run the parallel government, one that really gets things done. And ex-prime ministers and ex-presidents join it. And as quickly says, they then belong to the elite.
they, they're now unaccountable to the public and they can get the real work done. The Club of Rome also says the same thing. Democracy is too untidy. You just can't get anything done. There's too many conflicting parties all demanding different things. And after all, they have their written agenda, their time plan, and democracy gets in the way. We also often think we're on the cutting edge because we're born and living right now. Uh, therefore, we know it all. That's what we think. And yet we're really living uh, in the past because the inventions they have in science are light years ahead of anything that they stitched out to the public or mentioned in popular science magazines. That's how they keep you in a false state of reality. All the gear you're getting dished out with now, the high-tech stuff, was developed during the Cold War. We spy on you. Back with more after this break. through the matrix, just uh, recapping a little bit of history to show you how we got to where we are, how the big boys have to do everything by deception, and it's, that's the only way they treat us, because after all, we're children. They have to treat us like children, because we object to what they're up to otherwise. And they gave us a form of democracy as well, which we thought, we believed it was true, most people believe it's true, and then they go through a, a death experience when they find out it was all bogus. And they get sad and depressed and angry in all those phases to realize that democracy never existed. Why would there, an elite who ruled the world give up the right to rule the world out of a change of heart of some kind and possibly lose all their power that's going to be redistributed across to everybody else? They never do it, you see. Power has never given itself up. And when they gave people so-called democracy... Uh, they were just fooling them. Fooling them. Politics, left, right, it's all nonsense. Utter nonsense. The, they, they both work in concert. In fact, as I say, my whole life I've watched the United Nations dish out laws and getting countries to sign treaties. And these treaties basically go to the bureaucrats. And then they're redrafted, signed into law by every country, and often never even mentioned in any Congress or Parliament. They just happen into law. That's how it's really run. And the politicians are interchangeable, left and right. Quigley himself said the leaders of all parties for 60 years had been chosen by the Council on Foreign Relations. Nothing has changed. It's funny, too, you go back into, as I say, ancient times, contrasting, as I say, the fact that we think we're living on the cutting edge and we know it all compared to these old fogies from ancient times. And yet Plato goes through the systems, the different systems that, that existed and had existed before his lifetime. And he said, eventually, you're going to a form of democracy, and then out of democracy always comes a form of, of dictatorship. Today we'd call it a totalitarian, sort of communistic dictatorship. It always follows what they call democracy. And we see the signs of it all around us. There's no doubt about it. The United Nations is based on the Sovietized form of literally dictatorship. Eventually there'll be a king of the world, given a, a different title, of course, a supreme grand chutzpah of the UN. And uh, 
he'll be the king of the world, the first king of the world, and everything else will be subservient to him. That's where it's all heading, and that's where it's all supposed to go, according to the writings all about the United Nations and how they set it up and what their hopes were going to be were going to fulfill. And they always use the masses to get what they want. It's, it's a simple thing. It's like hurting you, burning you, and then showing you how to avoid the burn. And sure enough, you turn the other way and, and you, you, you thank them for giving you that little hint. Uh, move away from what's burning you. And, and, but they always show you the path that's going to burn you even further and, and worse, in fact. See, that's how they do it. This or that. What do you want? This or that. And we always take this or that, don't we? One or the other. There's an article out by people who've lived a good old, to good old age. And this was from the, the Times Online. It's about Gore Vidal. And he says, we'll have a dictatorship soon in the U.S. He says, the grand old man of letters, Gore Vidal, claims America is rotting away. And don't expect Barack Obama to save it. Then you get through all the, the stuff about his lifetime and where they meet him and where he's at right now and all that kind of stuff. And it says he's in the Connaught Hotel in Mayfair, where he's been coming to stay for 60 years, and then describe what he looks like and all the rest of it. And he appoints to an apartment opposite the hotel where Churchill stayed during the Second World War as Downing Street was getting hammered by the Nazis. The crowd would cheer him from the street. He knew great public relations. In a flash, the memory reminds you of the swath of history Vidal has experienced with great intimacy. He was friends with JFK, fought in the war. His father, Jean, Olympic decathlete and aeronautics uh, teacher, founded TWA, among other airlines, and had a relationship with Amelia Earhart. Vidal first flew and landed a plane when he was 10. He was a screenwriter for MGM in the dying days of the studio system, etc., etc., written 24 novels, blah, blah, blah. It says, he's crashed many barriers through his lifetime. Last year, he famously switched allegiance from Hillary Clinton to Barack Obama during the Democratic nomination process for president. Now he reveals he regrets his change of heart. How is Obama doing? Dreadfully. I was hoping he was the most intelligent person we've had in that position for a long time, but he's inexperienced. He has a total inability to understand military matters. He's acting as if Afghanistan is a magic talisman. Solve that and you solve terrorism. America should leave Afghanistan, he says. We've failed in every other aspect of our effort of conquering the Middle East or, or whatever you want to call it. The war on terror was made up, Vidal says. The whole thing was public relations, just like weapons of mass destruction. It has wrecked the airline business, which my father founded in the 1930s. He'd be cutting his wrist now when you fly. You're both scared to death and bored to death, a most disagreeable combination. His voice strengthens. One thing I've hated all my life are liars. He says that with bristling anger, and then live in a nation of them. It was not always the case. I don't demand honor that lies can be... T that lies that can be lies too. I don't say there was a golden age, but there was an age of general intelligence. Be the watchdog, the media, the media is too supine. Would, would, that, would that it was. They're busy preparing us for an Iranian war. That's what they're doing right now, preparing us for an Iranian war using the same techniques of weapons of mass destruction. Back with more after this break. You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network. 
because you can handle the truth. I'm Alan Watt, and this is Cutting Through the Matrix, reading an article from Vidal, Gore Vidal, who's bewailing the fact that the media is completely uh, a bunch of liars, basically. Now, put, remember, the, the articles I read, I'll put the links up on my website at the end of the show, cuttingthroughthematrix.com, and you can look up, them up for yourself. The rest of the article, he goes on about the, the, the right wing being fascist and so on. So he's still stuck in the twilight zone of parties. But uh, at least uh, it, it took him, what, 80-odd years to discover that, that uh, the media is a bunch of liars. I should show you how hard it is to, to come through this world and start to really learn some truth. It's pretty good if you can sort of learn rather early. Stop blaming yourself when you, when you don't fit into the system and then go in and check the system that you can't fit into and you'll find out it's no wonder you haven't been brainwashed enough to fit in. That's generally the, the difference. Don't drink yourself to death or go into drugs. Be thankful you're awake and uh, start learning. Start learning very quickly. That's how you overcome this. What's interesting, too, is all the, the scientific yahoos out there. Because this is at the age where scientists and experts are supposed to rule on behalf of the, the dominant minority that rules them. They have to rule the herd through science. And now that they've pretty well abolished religions, except the, 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 the couple of authorized ones left. That's what all that's left. But the rest of the religions are, are, are abolished, basically demolished, a constant war on them because you had to destroy the culture to bring in the new system and that's what's happened, we've got a universal culture where we worship science and people do worship science they, they, they grab a hold of every little gadget that comes out there to stick in their ear or whatever else to do with it and they, they praise the god of science which now rules their lives it makes it easier too when the dictates of science say they want, what they want to do with your body and we've all been through this, uh, this weird, fanatical push to get everyone vaccinated against what is either a non-existent or a very mild flu. And it's been more and more confusing, in fact, because of the names they give this flu. The, the media especially have deliberately had a campaign of making the public completely confused with the regular flu shot and the swine flu shot, because the media is calling them both the same, H1N1 rather than slash dash nine, etc. They're they're completely different, supposedly. And lots of people have already gone to get the flu shot, thinking it was a swine flu shot, only to find out afterwards. And some of them don't know yet that it it was the common flu shot that they got this year. They were fooled into getting it. They were tricked into getting it. And the swine one is totally come. And now that they've found in Canada that if you get the ordinary one first, it could actually make you get more susceptible to getting the swine flu. So now they're up in a quandary about it. What to do, what to do, all these experts, what to do. I think some of them are looking to their astrologers for advice. Other ones are running off for channeling. Yeah. Because they certainly can't figure it out with all the contradictory statements they're putting out there. These guys who are so self-assured they know exactly what they're doing and what's best for the public. If you knew what's in their heads, it would terrify you. Terrify you. The mayhem that's out there. 
the Calgary Herald has an article about uh, British Columbia as to limit the seasonal flu vaccines because, as I say, they found out that um, if you get the, the seasonal flu, the regular one is made up of three different uh, prevailing flus during the Far East somewhere. That's how they pick them every year. Combine them together. If you get that one, you can be more susceptible to getting the swine flu. Why? They haven't explained. That's another big mystery. But uh, this is what the story, the story is. And then the, the CBC, the Government um, Communist Broadcasting Corporation Network, uh, has this article here, 25th of September 2009. Flu shot plans vary across Canada. It says it starts off with the antiviral drug Tamiflu shouldn't be used now to prevent the H1N1 infection in people exposed to the virus but not sickened by it. The World Health Organization says the antiviral drug Tamiflu shouldn't be used to prevent H1N1 infection in people exposed to the virus but not sickened by it. So, figure that one out. Provinces and territories appear to have no standard approach to flu vaccinations as they examine preliminary research suggesting people who have had seasonal flu shots might be at greater risk of catching the swine flu. If you've had the seasonal flu shots, you're at greater risk of catching swine flu. Boy, they're there to help you. Boy, they're there to help you. Now, now all those folk who know this now will be biting their nails if they got that shot, eh? Ontario's Chief Medical Officer of Health announced a three-pronged approach to flu vaccination in the province on Thursday. Seasonal flu vaccinations for people older than 65 and residents of long-term care homes will take place in October. So the regular flu shot is going to go ahead for those groups in October. Since those groups are considered to be at greater risk from that flu than from the swine flu. Now what I've noticed over the years too by just watching the news and I've lived in the three different places uh, it's always the same. The, the, the common flu breaks out in old folks' homes and then it's spread out in the community by visitors. That's generally broadcast on the, the news here in Canada every year. And the only connection with that and the flu is the flu shot that they get. Then they break out with the flu and then visitors go to visit them in the old folks' homes and carry it into the community. I should admit this on they don't admit the fact the flu shot gave them the flu, but they are always the first ones to get the shot. And it's a coincidence, they're always the first ones to get the flu. And I so say the media does say that it's carried from the old folks' homes out into the community. There's a connection there somewhere, isn't there? Maybe we should try to get through into this strange logic or from those masters of health that can't figure this out for themselves. It says here, a wider swine flu vaccination campaign. They're going to launch a massive propaganda campaign with our tax money, because we're democratic in Canada. It's just for the rest of the population starting in November, when a vaccine becomes available against the H1N1 influenza A virus. They don't say nine. See, even they don't get it right in this one. Uh, because H1N1 influenza A virus covers the common flu as well as the swine flu. So even here, they're deliberately confusing it. The swine flu strain that has been spreading worldwide since April, so the media says. Seasonal flu vaccinations for people younger than 65, but only after the H1N1 shots have been given. But doesn't that confuse you? Seasonal flu vaccinations for people younger than... Now that's also H1N1. 
but only after H1N1 shots have been given. So they can't figure it out themselves at that level. They distinguish the two different types. A similar approach in delaying seasonal flu vaccinations has been adopted by Quebec, which will hold off seasonal shots until January, as well as by Saskatchewan and Nova Scotia. Other provinces, including British Columbia, are also considering it because they don't want to do, eventually give the folks swine flu. Uh, this thing is so confusing. As I say, there, there must all be enough flurry at the top, out, out seeing their, 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 um, their channelers and so on, trying to find out, get advice, get advice from out beyond somewhere, because they sure as hell don't have any uh, advice to give each other on any sensible basis. Mind you, the whole thing is, is, is nonsense to begin with, isn't it? Why would you go to all of this length when your economy's crashed, supposedly, uh, to spend all that money, all that money, for something that's mild or non-existent? So mild, they, they, they say in their own writings, that many people have had it and didn't know it. Why do you go to all this length? Something else is going on, obviously. And personally, I don't think you should get anything stuck in you from any laboratory, uh, especially when you read the history of vaccinations. But it's up to you, of course, what you do. Now, this whole UN system, this wonderful world system, it's wonderful how they, you can read their documents from 30 years ago and then see when they introduce part of that document into a particular country, how they reword something uh, for the novices, the general public, uh, as though it's something spontaneous that disarranged, you see. When, and really, every country signed on to these policies 30, 40, 50 years ago. Because they had the world put up in regions uh, even before World War II was over. Uh, I think Bill Cooper at one time showed you, he actually sold them. Um, it was photocopies of uh, a cornflakes package that was out in the U.S. with the world, as it would be post-World War II, with the world split up into regions, various regions. Well, these are United Nations regions. And it even had the, the place for Israel there, too, which wasn't there at that time. Everything's planned way ahead of time, you see. And it's the same with all of their policies as well. Because they planned... To, to give human habitats. We've only heard about this human habitat thing for the last oh, five to ten years. And in reality, they were talking about them back in the, during World War II. And what they would do is, is sandwich the people in the, these little habitats and give corridors, animal corridors, where no human was allowed to, except, of course, the government authorities, uh, but no other humans would be allowed to encroach upon or even walk upon. And they've been implementing this steadily in most countries already for years without the knowledge of the populations. In fact, they don't know why uh, uh, they're getting crowded in and in and in towards the cities from the rural areas. And this article here is from The Independent. Uh, it's, it says the UK, United Kingdom, is to get motorways. They call it motorways to throw them off of what it is. Motorways for animals. Like it's a brand new idea. Corridors of greenery that will allow endangered species to migrate form part of comprehensive review of countries' wildlife. 
27th of September 2009. Some of England's most endangered species could be brought back from the brink of extinction as a result of a year-long government wildlife review to be launched tomorrow, which will focus on rewilding, returning land to its natural state, and extending habitats for animals, you see. The review to be announced this week by the Secretary of State for the Environment, Hilary Benn, I guess it's, a, uh, it's one of the relatives of uh, Wedgwood Benn, the Wedgwood family, is aimed at expanding ecological corridors. These will allow animals to migrate across the country when climate change threatens their existing homes and will slow the dramatic loss of species caused by decades of intensive farming and urban development. They've been doing, putting farmers out of business since World War II. So there's hardly any intensive farming going on. In fact, the government itself, another part of the same government, was talking a few months ago about the need to get more farms because they put so many farms out of business. And as far as urban development goes over there, it's been dwindling because, you see, back in the 50s, again under treaties with the United Nations, every country signed on to not build outside a certain area around the cities. And you couldn't build new buildings except where old buildings had existed. That's what they've been doing for years and years and years in existing cities. But what does the truth do when you want to put a few lies across when you've got a good agenda uh, to get through to the public? According to Natural England, the English countryside has suffered over the past 50 years with biodiversity loss widespread across the country. Only 3% of grasslands remain rich in native plants, while decline in the quality of wetlands has led to a 90% decline in breeding snipe. And a lack of woodland management has contributed to a 50% decline of woodland butterflies. They always throw this rubbish in uh, all the time. I've even put up links there where you'll, feel, you'll find people from the big eco-movements coaching uh, students how to go in and uh, get, get uh, development stopped by claiming some frog or something lived here before, uh, according to something you've read that's 100 years old. Anything will do to stop development. And they're still at it yet, as they basically squeeze us into a little habitats have to get smaller and smaller and smaller up to the year 2050 when the population will be vastly reduced. That's the plan. But again, you can't tell them the real plan because after all, we're children. We might object. GM Watch is an excellent website to go into for the modified food and the Monsanto battles and all that kind of stuff. And what's happening across the world is this giant that's obviously part of the military-industrial complex, and it is it's heavily involved with the military, has been they were involved in Agent Orange and different uh, chemicals, not just to as defoliants, but into other th- realms as well. It can affect the mind. But uh, they've been given the go-ahead, obviously, to, to be one of the big, big groups to take over all the seeds of the world. Because after all, in warfare, you must control water and food. If you control the patents and all uh, vegetables and greeneries, then and you make sure there's a terminator genius where the seed can't reproduce itself. You must go back to them for the seed every year. You're the master of the world. Master of the world. Kissinger said that too about food. Control the food, you're the master of the world. So GM Watch was heavily hacked on the website. 
heavily hacked by professionals, and now they're back up again with a new site. I'll put this link up uh, on my website, cuttingthroughthematrix.com, at the end of the show, and you can go through the different topics they have there. Uh, and they certainly do their homework here. They don't overblow things either. They don't understate things. They simply uh, state the facts as they, as they find them. And it's very, very interesting as to what's happening because uh, right now, <coughs> Monsanto is across the entire planet. There's another link here from this site to the African Center for Biosafety. And they've got an article there on Monsanto going in. And I like the way they word this. They say, it says, patents, climate change, and African agriculture, dire predictions. It's from the African site. It says, uncertainty and apprehension, apprehension often afford opportunity to the cunning. This is certainly the case with climate change. The multinational seed and agrochemical industry see climate change as a means by which to further penetrate African agricultural markets by rhetorically positioning itself, even if impossibly, as having the solution to widespread climate concerns. So they use this concern to steal everything that you have. Their so-called final solution to deal with the impact of climate change on African agriculture depends on mass adoption of genetically modified seeds and chemically intensive agricultural practices. This model poses serious biosafety risks and demands the surrender of Africa's food sovereignty to foreign corporations and the widespread acceptance of patents on life in Africa. Despite its obvious pitfalls, this model is being aggressively promoted by multinationals, private philanthropy, that's Rockefellers and so on, and some African national agricultural research programs, often funded by the, the same two. Back with more after this break. to read, but I don't have time. I'll just finish up by saying that on this website, African Center for Biosafety, and I'll put the link up on my website. You can also download um, a PDF, I guess it is, uh, about uh, more stuff to do with Monsanto and what it's doing to African foods and what they're taking over. That'd be quite interesting. And we'll go to the callers now, and there's Chris from Toronto there. Are you there, Chris? Hi there. Good evening, Mr. Allen. How are you doing? Not so bad. Good, good. Um, it's Chris uh, Shivy. I've communicated with you a few times. I'm from Toronto Truth Seekers. I just want to let everyone know out there, um, the CBC did a piece with us today, and it should be airing on the national very shortly in about 10 minutes. Um, we're trying to raise awareness about the swine flu vaccines, um, the stuff that you've been saying, it's the information that we're getting out, and I just want to say that that's going to be shown for all Canadian audience. And I want to thank you personally for what it is you do, and to let everyone know to get this man's book, uh, cutting through the matrix a series it really breaks down uh, how our world really works it gives you another paradigm that you can easily access and uh, know how this thing works so thank you very much for all that you're doing and keep doing what you're doing thanks for calling okay and i'll look into the cbc tonight to see it on the on the news let's hope they don't censor parts they're awfully good at censoring different parts but there might be in there we'll, we'll wait and see and there's uh, daniel from california hey there daniel Yes, can you hear me? Yes. Okay, um, I first discovered you back in around 
around 2006 on Coast to Coast. When yeah. I used to be into that, you know, comic book stuff, that Hocus Pocus stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've come a long way in my, um, I'd say, awakening. Yeah. And uh, at first when you discover and you read, you know, like Jackson Talley's books, the Brzezinski books, the Kissinger books, mm-hmm. it, it, it opens to you up. It opens you up into what's on the surface. But yeah. now I, I found I'm at a different stage of my awakening, and it's uh, I'm interested in the religious. I'm interested in the religion of these religious fanatics, as you yes. call them. Yeah. And uh, I'm not a Christian myself, and I'm not here to verify or deny anybody. Hey, what, what you believe is your business. But uh, the religion is very interesting, and I actually just found Aleister Crowley's uh, book at the at a at a thrift store for a dollar. Confessions. Yeah. And. Uh, it's funny on the cover. Um, there's an idealized self-portrait of him, yeah. and he spelled his name with an A, but the A looks like a penis. That's right. <laughs> the generative right. force, correct? Oh yeah, yeah. The the knowledge, wisdom. He, he says in his he own book. Uh, <laughs> he says in his own book that uh, he took a group over to, uh, I think it was Sicily. It was, uh, it was over that region, and uh, he one of his guests that they all went around naked in the in, in the, this house that they lived in. And he said that um, his friend always walked around with a magnificent uh, erection. That's what he said. So, yeah, he had penis worship there, but there's no doubt about it, yeah. <laughs> it, it, it's funny because it means so many things, you know. And, um, I think the word penis, and even the general area, you know, especially to Americans, you know, we're so childish down here that, you know, uh, the genitals just makes people blush, you know. Yes. So when you hear words like the penis, it's, it's, it, it, it's kind of offensive to some. To me, once I got uh, a, a different... Uh, way of looking at things, I understood. Yep. And I understood that um, it means a lot more than that. That's what you oh, see yeah. on 2001, the obelisk. Yes. Correct? It's amazing what you just said, because, I mean, the U.S., what, what do they think that the George Washington Monument represents? <laughs> <laughs> I know, it, 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 it's pretty funny, but I just I, I just wanted to throw that in there, Alan, I said th- and give you a thanks for everything you do. And thank you for calling, too. Thanks very much. And maybe tomorrow we can get Mike from Ohio back to you. I couldn't get around soon. From Hamish, myself, in Ontario, Canada, it's good night to me. Your God or your gods go with you.